The Radio Stingray Podcast is brought to you by our gold sponsor, McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, proudly supporting the MUA Sydney branch since 1977. Need assistance with employment, industrial or workers' compensation, or any other legal problem? Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get a real fighting lawyer on your side. tuned in to Radio Stingray. G'day and welcome to Radio Stingray, the podcast of the Sydney branch of the Maritime Union of Australia. This episode, as always, is being recorded at Radio Hub, which is on Aboriginal land. My name is Shane Reeside and I'm an organiser with the Sydney branch of the MUA. We're very lucky in this episode to have the opportunity to hear directly all the way from the UK from a couple of legendary comrades from the Liverpool Dockers, Tony Nelson and John Lynch. John and Tony, welcome to Sydney and welcome to Radio Stingray. Good morning. Good morning. With us also in the studio is a voice you're all very familiar with, Paul McAleer, Sydney Branch Secretary of the MUA. How are you, Macca? Very well, comrade. As we're moving into a massive shit fight here on the waterfront in Australia, there is a lot we can learn from the heavy, hard-fought struggles on the Liverpool waterfront. There is a long, long history of solidarity between Liverpool Dockers and the MUA. Who can tell me a little bit about that relationship? Um, well, I was one to sack Liverpool Dockers. Um, that strike started in 1995, uh, ended in 1998. It was a two-and-a-half-year bitter and brutal dispute. But the dispute really started in the 1980s when Margaret Thatcher was in power. Uh, she made a decision here in her cabinet to disband or destroyed the National Dock Labour Board, which was a, a board that protected every single docker in the UK. Every docker was registered at the time and was employed by the government. Uh, in 1989, the Thatcher government decided to pass a law which deregistered every docker in the country. And there was a strike took place, an official strike, which lasted four weeks. Um, at the end of the strike, uh, all the dockers, it was a defeat and all the dockers become deregistered. But out of that strike, the Port of Liverpool stayed organised because uh, historically we've always been an organised port. And for four or five years, um, we stayed organised. And in 1995, uh, the employer, the Mersey Docks and Harbour Company, contrived a dispute where a group of young dockers uh, from a company called Torside were sacked. Most of them were sons of the older dockers. They put a picket line up and the company knew there was no way the older dockers were going to cross that picket line. And we were locked out. And then we tried to get back into work and the company locked the gates and they brought in a, an infamous strike-breaking company called Drake's, Drake's International, who actually come into Australia a, year, a couple of years later. Uh, during the Patrick dispute. And then the strike started. It was two and a half years of picketing, two and a half years of internationalism. And the first place we come to was Sydney, Australia. There was a company called ABC Line. It was coming out of Liverpool, coming straight into Sydney. And the Sydney branch of the MUA 
uh, blockaded that shipping line. That shipping line went bust. Mm. We then went to the United States, uh, New York, um, and for the first time in their history, um, the New York Dockers supported uh, another trade union, and we actually stopped the ship in New York. I was one of the pickets there, and we stopped the ship in New York for three days and Baltimore for two days. And that's when we had the dispute won, um, because Liverpool couldn't trade without the New York trade. Uh, ACL then refused to come back into Liverpool, but unbeknown to us, our own general secretary, a guy called Bill Morris, who's now M- Morris William of Hansworth, Lord. Um, he went to the House of Lords after the dispute, hmm. believe it or not. Um, he was working behind our back to bring that trade back into Liverpool. As we were on strike, he was doing the exact opposite and was in collusion with the shipping company to bring the, um, the line back in. And then we were on strike then for two and a half years. And we lost five guys during the dispute. Um, we died of stress-related in, this, uh, in problems on the picket line. Uh, we picked it every day for two and a half years in the British winter. And at the end, I was on the committee uh, that decided to call the dispute off. Even after that, some of our own guys didn't want to give in, but people were dying. And, you know, we had no option, basically. So we were paid out a redundancy payment. <sighs> After the dispute ended, we still had all our international contacts and we used them to form an organisation called the International Dock Workers Council, along with other, other internationalists, other ports around the world. But we also, the most important thing is we bought a building in the top of um, Liverpool by the two cathedrals because we wanted to put something back into the community and we called that place the Casa. And since we've opened up, um, I think we've raised up to £20 million for the local community. We've brought in benefit advisors because the benefit system in England now is archaic. It's demeaning. It's everything. Uh, you, you don't give sick notes anymore. It's called fit notes, fit to go back to work. Uh, there was a famous case a month ago, one of our uh, clients who was six stone. And he was deemed fit to work by an assessor. These assessors are not trained, they're not doctors. And they're sending people to their death, basically, because the government records are saying 13 people a month are committing suicide. So we are advising people, we're advising on benefits. Um, But since the dock strike, we've always had one eye on um, organising the port of Liverpool. And there's a guy who was in the port at the time, uh, John Lynch, who was uh, organising while we were in the casa. So uh, incredible history there, mate, and I appreciate you explaining it to us. So uh, most of our listeners would be very familiar with the 98 dispute uh, in Australia, the Patrick's dispute. That's something that uh, most working-class people in Australia are familiar with. Uh, And if I understand you correctly, it sounds as though the genesis of the Patrick's dispute was actually in Liverpool. So we've seen the Thatcher government and those that came after Thatcher smashing Liverpool dockers or attacking Liverpool dockers head on uh, and using actually the same strike-breaking companies that then go on to be a part of the Australian ruling class attempted smashing the MUA. That's more or less the story, eh? Yeah, well, sorry, it just comes out of a paper. I don't know if your listeners are aware. Uh, Margaret Thatcher employed a guy called Nicholas Finney and he produced a paper and the paper was entitled um, How to Break Dock Workers uh, Organised Labour Internationally. 
Liverpool being one of the strongest ports in the world, that was the first one. The next one, obviously, was going to be Australia, and then they went on to the West Coast. So it was an organised... West Coast of the US. Yes, sorry, yes. It was an organised effort to break organised labour on the docks around the world. And so this is from the late 80s through to the late 90s. We yes, see this yes correct. Yeah. yeah. And so in the end of this hard-fought dispute that you're describing, uh, you're saying that the, the Liverpool Dockers didn't get back in the gate in the end. No. 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 And so uh, as a result, the union made a decision to set up this uh, this social centre called the Casa. Yeah, well, it wasn't just a union, it was just a, the sack dockers themselves. The sack dockers yeah, themselves. Yeah. How many workers are we talking at this stage? It, there was a small group of us at, at, um, at the time that formed the Casa um, because we were, it was mainly the ex-shop stewards, the committee, mm. who uh, wanted to, to put something back into the community. Um, and we've turned the mechanism of the Casa into the Community Advice Service Association. It's also a pub. Because we needed a cash cow. Me and Dockers, we, um, there's only one thing you knew best how to sell beer or drink beer as well. But <laughs> that's, that's how we, um, we made our money. Right. Um, so these Dockers end up out the gate. So who's working the port after the end of this strike? Um, Drake's employees, which John Lynch was one of them. Right. Okay. And so, John, you've been working at the port since that time, have you? No, no. Uh, I didn't start on the port till 2005. Okay, so, so this is a few, jump a few years ten, later. Ten yep. years after the dispute, I, I started on the docks, yeah. And explain to me what the what the docks were like when you got there. Was it a union workplace when you arrived? I had a union, but it wasn't very organised. It was a bit, uh, how could you say, first of all, you had uh, scabs, you were shop stewards. So first thing, you can't have people who broke a strike to be in a union, can you? So when I got elected, my first job was to kick the scabs out. And reorganise. Right. So it's the legacy of, of smashing the union yeah. that Tony was a part of is what you encountered. Yeah. And um, uh, how, around about how many people were working there when you get when you arrive? At the time, when I started in 2005, you still had the, uh, the scabs protest strike from Drake's and you still had the people that Tony worked with the Maisie Dock and Harbour who were scabs. So it was like two lots of scabs but two different firms. So we were only a small number because you still had quite a bit of the Maisie Dock and Harbour. So roughly, I'd say... There was about 150 drakes, um, probably 80 Maisie Docks and Harbour. But it's grew bigger now. Um, the good thing you say now, there's probably 360 workers there now. There's probably about eight scabs left working on the shop floor. Wow. Um, we've got a recognition agreement now. We've got five shop students underneath myself. When I worked for drakes, I was always constantly having battles with them. Uh, we got rid of drakes. Uh, it was one of the first things we agreed when we, Tony and Terry started working with us. We got rid of Drake's and we thought, oh, sometimes it's better than ever, you know, sometimes it's not. We got a company called Blue Arrow, who were a cunt of a firm. Attacked me personally. Every time I got on, on the naughty step, they brought the barrister in to discipline me or the lawyer. Mm. So I must have been doing something right. Like <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So you're effectively, you've been rebuilding the union from yeah. the bricks and mortar back up yeah. once again. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and so... While you're doing that uh, at the port, you've got the community advice and what do you call it? Casa community advice? And- it's called the Casa because it was called the Casa Blanca because the Somalian community had to be for us and then we bought it off them uh-huh. and we just shortened the name to Casa. Uh-huh. Um, if you go in the Casa, the first thing you, you, you'll see is uh, it looks like an MUA hiring hall because all the MUA stuff's in there <laughs> in the bar, uh, the Patrick's dispute, all the stuff that's in the uh, Paul's office, it's it's all on our wall as well. And we got um, all the international stuff all around the wall, um, all 
you've got a room that's dedicated to the Spanish Civil War comrades that went over from Liverpool in the 1930s. Um, so it's all trade union stuff uh, all over the place, and it's but it's open to everybody. And the Wharfies now that you work with, that you've uh, brought back into a union organisation again, do they get down to cars much? Yeah, we get down there quite a bit. Uh, mostly the, there's five shops here, so we pop in quite a bit of meetings. We don't really use the union building, we use the, the casters, our foundation. Is that because there's beer there? Is that because there's beer there? That's one of the, one of the, one of the better options, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Macca, are you old enough to remember the Liverpool Dockers strike? Um, I am old enough, um, but I really only learn about it through meeting with our comrades and learning from the older Wharfies who went through it and understood the damage that it done not only to the Liverpool Dockers uh, but to the Patrick's Dockers that followed them. And as Tony indicated, the the struggle then moved on to the west coast of America and they were locked out. And not long after that, our comrades in the Maritime Union of New Zealand were, were smashed. So the history of the worldwide Dockers movement really started um, in 95 and, as Tony indicated, with the election of Margaret Thatcher. And the whole history of the working class now, I think, is tied to that move towards neoliberalism. We used to have a social democratic framework in Western liberal economies and now with um, Thatcher and Reagan and other neoliberal um you know, parasites, we've moved in a whole new direction. And as a consequence of that, the strongest unions in the world um, were attacked. And the Liverpool Dockers were the most progressive, militant workers on earth. If there was anything going on in the world that needed the support of the working class, the Liverpool Dockers were leading it. And it's no wonder to me or anyone else that has any understanding of the history of our movement, why they went after the Liverpool Dockers first and why they came after Australian Wharfies second. And uh, were you around when the MUA was taking some of these solidarity actions that Tony was just describing? No, I started in um, on the waterfront in 1999 as a 21-year-old. And so what do some of the older, older Wharfies say about that time? Well, it was a period of struggle and everyone was up to their eyeballs in fighting for their life. Um, we understood at that time we, we, were, we were a tougher union then for a whole host of reasons. One is that we had confidence. We'd been through the 70s and 80s and 90s as a tough working class outfit that had the ability to stand up to the bosses no matter what they threw at us. And because of the Liverpool Dockers and their, and their what was a historic defeat, I've got to say, um, we were attacked in 1998 and we learnt the lessons that we could never allow ourselves to be betrayed again. Um, the whole ITF changed as a consequence of the Liverpool Dockers. We saw the um, rise of the International Dock Workers Council. So explain that to me a bit. Uh, I often hear around the traps and our listeners will probably be uh, familiar with this, particularly the Wharfies, that the ITF didn't live up to expectations during that time. Does someone want to explain that? Well, the, the history of the ITF is is groundbreaking in many ways. The the first international of, the, of transport workers came about as a consequence of the the great maritime strikes and the great labour strikes that occurred in the, the late 1890s. And transport workers, including dockers, seafarers, road and rail, aviation, everyone has become aware that the only way that we're going to be able to defeat neoliberalism and the assault on the working class is by being organised internationally. The wonderful unions that are, are in the ITF um, have recognised that and have largely built international solidarity, I've got to say. Now, 
95 saw the betrayal of the Liverpool Dockers by senior um, leaders of their own union and then by the ITF itself. Tony, do you want to tell us a bit about that while you were there? Yeah, it was a leadership of the, of the ITF and a leadership of uh, our own union. But I made it clear to West uh, WA conference last week um, in Fremantle that if Paddy Crumlin would have been leader of the ITF in 95 and if Len McCluskey would have been general secretary of our union, it would have been a totally different outcome. Mm. The leadership now of the ITF is completely changed. It's changed for the better. And that's how important leadership is. It's just a case of having two people or even one person could have changed the whole outcome of, of that dispute. Um, we were betrayed, but not by any individuals other than the leadership of those two organisations. In fact, it was Len McCluskey, uh, who's from Liverpool, Liverpool Docker. He runs the largest, one of the largest trade unions in Europe, one and a half million people. Um, who come into the CASA in 2010 when he was elected General Secretary. And he said, listen, lads, when I was campaigning to be General Secretary, I could not go into my own port. And that's hurt me. Will you two go back down and organise? And at first we weren't keen for obvious reasons. But when we did, we had the experience, we had the international contacts. We worked with John. I always say uh, Ken Loach, the film director, made a film about um, the Liverpool docker. And he called us to flick and flame. And that's what we were. And the chasm was that flame. We were so flicking away in the chasm, not many of us. And we had John down there. And when we reorganized, we knew what to do. Our remit was to get rid of Drake's. Our remit was to try and get the workers within the Port Authority. Our remit was to get conveners. And we've achieved all that. In fact, the agreement now that we've got now in the Port of Liverpool is probably better than the agreement that we had in the 90s. And that is mostly to do not all to do, but mostly to do with our international contacts. So tell me about that. You've experienced what you've described as a betrayal at the time and then you've gone and rebuilt uh, or you've maintained international relationships with those people who you weren't betrayed by. What form did that take? The betrayal? No, the yeah. relationships that you went on to uh, to create, the organisation that you built out of that betrayal. Well, we got hold of our, our international contacts and to give you a couple of examples, when they decided five years ago to attack John Lynch as a shop steward, as employers do. Uh, they go for the shop stewards. Um, we walked into the boardroom of uh, P.O. Holden's. I'll never forget this day that we uh, he had about 15 emails in front of him. Peel with a company that was not a historically a port employer. They were new to the game. They were new to uh, running ports. They bought about five or six now. Massive company. And he asked us what are these emails? Who are the MUA? Who are the ILWU? Who are this? Who are the Spanish dockers? Who, why have they sending me emails telling me that if John Lynch gets the sack, they'll take action against Peel? He said, I've never heard anything like it in my life. And we said, look, I'm the institution now to docker solidarity. That's the way we are. That's the way we work. And that's what's going to happen in the future. So all of those unions that you just mentioned, I understand, are members of the International Dock Workers Council. Mackett? Mm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that organisation? Well, the IDC, as I said before, its genesis was as a consequence of the betrayal of the ITF and the Liverpool Dockers Own Union. And Dockers decided that it's always been Dockers that have defended Dockers, Wharfies, Longshoremen, whatever we call ourselves around the world, we've always relied on each other 
to uh, achieve the victories for us. And the IDC was created in um, in 2000 uh, and all of those unions that um, Tony just spoke about are members of it. It's It's got the toughest dockers unions in the world. Um, we're very proud of that. The MUA Sydney branch is an affiliate of both the ITF and the IDC. We want the organisations to work together to get outcomes for dockers no matter which global you know federation we're affiliated to. And I think it's because of the leadership of Tony, um, John and others from the Liverpool docks, they've recognised the importance of the trade union movement coming together internationally and international solidarity is not, you know, broken in half. International solidarity is international solidarity and it's essential that we get these organisations to work together to secure outcomes for dockers because the nature of the attacks that we're sustaining are too large for us to fight them off single-handedly. We've seen instance after instance struggle after struggle, fight after fight, and really none of them would have been in any way victorious if we never had the international solidarity that comes with it. So, uh, Tony, you describe CASA as though it's a kind of community-based place for all sorts of different working-class people to gather. Uh, that doesn't sound like a kind of traditional union model, do No, because we, we, we believe, or I believe, that... Um times are changing that you had to get into the community the old trade union model was out of date you had to get into the community and i can give you a couple of examples uh where we are uh, we're in the theater district of uh, liverpool uh we formed a theater in the back sounds very undocker like but we formed a theater <laughs> in the back where we uh, asked people to come in drama teachers and we said you can put a play on free in the casa but on the understanding that you teach working class kids how to act free in your spare time. And that's one of the, the things that we do. We have things in, in the back. It's, and people joke about the cats. It's like Monty Python. We have every political group in the world there. Socialist Workers Party, Socialist Labour Party, the Socialist Party, and, you know, Communist Party, Great Britain. And the, as one's coming out, one's coming in. One night we have the Christians in, and then we have the pagans in the next night. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's crazy in there sometimes. We have every single group in the world uh, meets there. And all trade union, we still keep our trade union links, or every trade union uh, works there. But we're, I'm obsessed, my partner runs the council as well, she's obsessed. We've got to get into the community. If, if trade unions have got to survive, it can't survive without the community. The days of just white working class men controlling trade unions have come to an end. You involve the community or you die. Well, I've been very fortunate enough to visit the CASA and it is everything that Tony said it and much more. It's the most welcoming place a trade unionist could ever find a beer um, anywhere on earth. Um, but I've often spoke about community unionism on Radio Stingray and in other forums. The idea didn't spring from my mind. It, it sprung from the minds of the Liverpool dockers. They've always been ahead of the curve. They've always understood and recognised the most important elements of trade unionism and community unionism and the community union model, it really had its birthplace in Liverpool as a consequence of their defeat. Um, and if anything that dockers are good at, it's, you know, wrestling victory from the jaws of defeat. We keep on coming back. doesn't matter how much we get knocked down. We keep on coming back. We rec recreate ourselves, recreate our movement and really provide 
um, the creative energy to change and transform what we know is a dying model into a living, breathing, thriving model of community activism, community unionism, community participation, community engagement. And that's where it's at. That's where trade unionism will be at in the next 10 years, or as Tony says, will die. So for anyone of our members who are going over to England, please go to Liverpool and go to the CASA and you'll be the most welcome dockers on earth. So Tony and John... Uh, it's hard to get thrown out of the joint too. No matter, <laughs> no matter how hard you try and no matter how many beers you have, we've old dockers who do know how to drink, it's very, very difficult to get thrown out. So Tony and John... Uh, I'm sure you've heard in the couple of weeks that you've been here in Australia that Australian waterside workers are under a fresh round of attacks from uh, some of the biggest stevedoring companies in the world, from ICTSI, the bottom-feeding Filipino company, through to Hutchison and DP World. They're all uh, gearing up right now to try and smash the MUA and smash the conditions that uh, waterside workers have fought for over a very, very long time. Given the fight that you went through, Given what's happened subsequently, given the work that you've been doing to rebuild uh, at the port, John, what do you think we need to do here? As Tony says, I think you've got to get the community on, on side. Everything's got to come rank and file. I think you've got to organise, be honest with the membership. Sometimes they won't like the truth, but you've got to be honest with them from the start and let them make the decisions. And you've got to, as you say, education and organisation is the most important tool. You've got to hope for one day when you when you're uh, hang your uh, hat up or and you leave the workplace that it's a better workplace than when you started. That's your that's your goal. That's your education. That's that's what you've got to aim for. You've got to from top to the bottom. You've got that's what you've got to do. Well, I've always um, believed that Liverpool is the lighthouse for dockers uh, throughout the entire world. Um, the example that they gave to dockers around the world and to demonstrate just how much we're hated and how willing the work, the ruling class are willing to go to defeat us should demonstrate to every warfare in this country that the nature of the attack against us is a life and death one. And we can argue about, you know, how far the bosses are willing to go. Have a look at Liverpool. Have a look at what they're willing to do um, with workers, dockers who have dignity and respect for themselves and the world's working class how far they're willing to go to destroy us. They're willing to close down their ports. They're willing to throw us onto the streets for years on end in order to succeed. So the lessons for Liverpool are still for us to learn because we haven't overcome the assault against us. It's still continuing. And as you rightfully say, Shane, three of the largest stevedoring companies on earth right now are taking us on in ways that have rarely ever happened on the Australian waterfront. And we can look at 98 and see it as a fight to the death. Well, we're in one at the moment. And it's going to only be through the lessons of Liverpool and the lessons that we've um, been able to live through over the last 25 years, which will either get us through these challenges or we will die on the vine and just become like most other, you know, ex-workplaces that were strong and tough, we'll have nothing. And there's no way in the world that the MUA is going to allow that to happen to Australian dockers and I know the Liverpool dockers will be behind us as much as we're behind them in ensuring that wharfies, dockers, longshoremen, whatever we call ourselves, win. Tony and John, the uh, the story of the struggle in Liverpool is, is legendary and incredible. Where can people learn a little bit more about it? Well, if you just go on into uh, any website, um, sorry, you just Google the Liverpool dock dispute, we've got um, labour list, I think it is. So if you go on to labour list, it's a day-by-day, blow-by-blow uh 
account of, of the dispute uh, done by a guy called uh, Greg Dropkin. Um, he kept a diary of the dispute. There's actually a book coming out next year called Betrayal, um, done by a Liverpool docker, Mike Carden. Um, that comes out in September 2020. Maybe we should do a launch here, Mac, in Sydney. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's a documentary. A, yeah, there's documentaries, uh, there's a Ken Loach documentary, Flickle and Flame. There's a Channel 4 film, Dockers, which uh, Ricky Tomlinson plays a starring role. Uh, that's on, uh, I think it's on YouTube, actually. It's, it was it was aired in Australia uh, by ABC. Um, I'll just go back to your last question also. Um, the attack on the Australian Dockers, what the employer has got to understand is that we're not new to this game. We're It's in our blood. If you go back to 1889, when the great London dock strike was on, the Australian dockers sent over £30,000. From that dispute, the trade union movements in England or Great Britain doubled from that dispute because it was a great victory, the dockers' tanner. So we're used, all around the world, dockers are used to attack from employers. We know the game. It's in our blood. And I've got a message to the employers in Sydney and all of Australia. Anyone, anyone tries to attack the MUA, or the dockers, or seafarers, we'll make sure, we'll make sure that every docker and every seafarer in the world is made aware. And we also make sure that they'll get the support that the Liverpool dockers got in 1995. We'll make sure of that. Comrades, it is a great privilege to have you all the way from the UK here in Radio Stingray with us. I thank you greatly for coming in. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Radio Stingray. It's the podcast of the Sydney branch of the MUA. Uh, If you like it, share it on the socials. And as Macca always likes to say, if you can see water, join us. Join the MUA. tuned in to Radio Stingray. Radio Stingray podcast was brought to you by McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, assisting MUA members and their families for 40 years. Phone 9233-4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get McNally's on your side.